Hey there, and welcome to Now on Netflix, your podcast that helps you figure out what to watch on your favorite streaming service. I'm Henry Goldblatt, executive editor of Todoom.com, Netflix's site made for and dedicated to fans. We've got a really special episode coming to you today. We've got a fall preview that will tell you all about the great series and films we have coming to Netflix. First up, we're going to talk series with my colleague Ari Romero, a staff writer at Todoom.com. Ari, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I love fall TV. I love fall TV too. I love a pumpkin something with a shawl and a sofa and a remote and I am in hog heaven. Get me a plaid score and a big screen. I'm in. Ari, the first show you want to dig into is Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, which is a take on a very, very, very beloved franchise. And tell us about the franchise first before we dive into the show. It's a great movie, a cult classic starring Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead about Scott Pilgrim, a indie rock boy, which I think is probably living in my brain forever at this point as a 31-year-old woman. But he meets this girl, falls in love with her. She's the girl of his dreams. And then he finds out he has to fight her seven evil exes. It's amazing. And it is a who's who of like millennial it people, as you're saying, like Michael Sarah, Aubrey Plaza, Chris Evans, Brie Larson, Mae Whitman, Anna Kendrick, just to name a few. Like this cast is stock. It's everyone I grew up loving and probably started loving with this movie. So what makes this series so special and different from the movie? It's an anime. So it's a fun new take on a story we know, which I really didn't expect. And it's such a fun new addition to this. Something I love is like all the little details. There's like I grew up on Pokemon and they had and I had the cards and everything. (laughs) And they do like the stress bubble or the thought bubble or those like fun little weird details. That's to be found here, which is just cool and I didn't think was going to happen. And also, I think it it veers a little bit. There are surprises to be found. I've been watching it. I watched a little bit today even. And it's just, it's such a good time. And so how many episodes is it? Like, how does the story unfold? It is eight episodes. And it's just a take through this love story and all of the weird little problems that arise when you need to fight the evil exes of your newest love interest. And when is this premiering? It premieres November 17th, so just in time for, you know, deep fall. Just in time for Thanksgiving when you have to battle your evil exes at the Thanksgiving table. Everybody knows that the night before Thanksgiving is the most dangerous night back home. Absolutely, (laughs) because everyone gathers at the bar that they went to, like, around college or high school, and bad choices are made. Very bad choices in local bars. (laughs) So you could prepare for that with this. Next up is Obliterated, a show that I've seen and loved and is, part of my language, a little batshit crazy. The logline, I think, kind of sells it all. Ari, what is that logline? If 24 and The Hangover hooked up and had a baby, it'd be obliterated. Also, that baby would be from a one-night stand. That's just my take. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Can you set up the premise of the show? It rocks. Like, it's so fun. It's that an elite special forces team thinks they save the nuclear bomb. They save Vegas. They've done it. They're the greatest people in America, literally. And then they find out maybe they were wrong and there's a bomb still out there. The only problem is they've already had the greatest party of all time and now they have to go save the world. Not exactly sober. (laughs) 
The party also involves a camel. There's a very special camel that I cannot wait for people to meet. I actually spent a lot of time today figuring out the camel's real name. It's Skittles. Good name for a camel. It's a beautiful name for a camel, and that camel should stay away from substances. It stars Nick Zano as the Navy SEAL team leader. Um, You may know him from Legends of Tomorrow or even a deeper cut, What I Like About You. Oh, what a show. I miss it. What a show. And he leads a ragtag gang, as you were saying, including C. Thomas Howell from all those 80s movies that you know and love. I can't wait if you are a fan of C. Thomas Howell to see C. Thomas Howell in this project. You'll never look at him the same way again. Truly never. (laughs) And my favorite sort of callback of this project is it also stars Carl Lumley as the head of the CIA. He's the boss of all these people. He was also the head of the CIA in Alias. If you need a head of the CIA, you go to this man. He is ready. And this has some really great auspices. Um, It's done by the creators of Cobra Kai. And you see little parts of Cobra Kai throughout it, I think. I think Cobra Kai has a real passion for, you know, 80s action, 80s comedy. And this is taking that to a very mature, the nth degree of like what an 80s action hero would want to see right now. Exactly. Uh, So Obliterated comes out November 30th. It will be a post-Thanksgiving binge. And I highly recommend it. I had the best time watching this thing. Next up is a show that you're particularly excited about, Ari. It's called Neon. And tell us a little bit of what it's about. I love Neon. Um, it tells the story of Santi, a budding reggaeton artist who travels to Miami with his two best friends to kind of chase the neon lights of fame and glitz and glamour that I think we all kind of want. Now, you said Las Vegas was a character in Obliterated. Miami is very much a character in Neon. It is. It's stunning. Miami is my favorite American travel city, and they really capture just how sexy it is there and how fun it is and how any night you go out, you feel like anything could happen to you. You could meet anybody. You could fall in love. You could become a star. And this really has it here. And in this case, they're chasing stardom. Yes. And I personally, I'm a Santi fan already, so I hope he's going to get it. To me, this is a great show for people who are missing Abbott Elementary, which I always am. I think it's really important that we see stories that involve people of color or created by people of color, but are truly for everybody. This is a story that any person can really connect to. At the heart of this is the friendship. There's Santi, but there's also Ness played by Emma Fiera, who was amazing and unstable, our Rob Lowe show. And then there's Jordan Mendoza as Felix, who's kind of the creative director and has so many great one-liners and is just their comedy and their chemistry. Undeniable. I can't wait for people to love it. I just love when you could feel history and chemistry and connection that even if you're watching one season of a show, it feels like it's lived for decades. And this has that. So Neon's coming out October 19th. You don't have to wait long for it at all. Let's go. Let's watch. You love a show called Everything Now. Tell us about that. I am, if you can tell, a sucker for a teen show. This one is amazing. It's about, and it's very, it's meaningful. It has heart. It's pretty gritty, but it's also just fabulous. It's about a 16-year-old girl named Mia who has to go into treatment for an eating disorder. And when she gets out, she really feels like she's missed out on a lot of life, despite it only being a few months. So she creates a bucket list or bucket list with her friends. And then they just kind of go through this great journey to get her to feel normal once again and really feel like she's a teenager who can enjoy her life after such a traumatic experience. What are some of the things on the bucket list? Uh, Karaoke, getting drunk, going on a date. You know, I think if you grow up watching any type of pop culture you're like that's what it means to be a cool young person and she's like I just want to like have a shot (laughs) 
And tell us a little bit about who stars in this show. It's starring Sophia Wilde, which if you've seen the film Talk to Me, she is the star of that. She is amazing in that. I was terrified watching that at like 11 o'clock at night in a movie theater. And she brings a new kind of layer to herself here. It's not all just fear. It's pathos. It's comedy. It's voiceover work. She's kind of doing it all. And then also comes from Ripley Parker, who is the daughter of Thindy Wee Newton and Al Parker. So there's lots of fun pedigree in this. It's so interesting. Like thinking back to when you're 16, like missing three months would feel like the end of the world. Whereas, of course, you're an adult and three months goes by like that. But so I can see why she'd come out of rehab and be like, I need to do all these things immediately because I missed out. Much like Neon, this is another really great, strong friend group. So she comes back out of her facility and all of her friends are now having sex. They're going to parties. They have these lives that she just feels like happened in the blink of an eye. And she's like, gotta go catch up. And where is it set? It is very British. Mm -hmm. And something I like about this and that I think they're excited about is that this is a new way of seeing London. It is a meaningful UK show that shows a different part maybe we haven't seen in a teen show. How would you compare it to Heartstopper, that other very beloved British teen show? It is very, very different. <laughs> Heartstopper is so sweet. Heartstopper, you hope nothing ever goes wrong for these people, these wonderful kids. You want to wrap them in bubble wrap. There is no bubble wrap for these teens. That is not available to them. And they're really dealing with the hard parts of life. I mean, it will definitely get Euphoria comparisons, but personally, I can't watch Euphoria. It's a little too triggering, a little too upsetting for me. But I don't have that here. There's also a lot of comedy. So on a comforting versus upsetting scale, it would go Heartstopper, then Everything Now, and then Euphoria. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Everything Now comes out October 5th, so you won't have to wait very long for it. Speaking of sex, the next show you want to talk about is Sex Education. Tell us about Sex Education. It's entering its final season. Sex Education is that girl. Sex Education is so good. If you have not watched it, it is about, and you should, please go watch it. You have three seasons to watch before you see this. It is about Otis Milburn, played by Asa Butterfield, a teen boy whose mother, Jean Milburn, is a sex therapist. And he's like, I need to start a sex therapy clinic. Let's go. And he partners with a very savvy girl named Maeve at his school. And it's a little bit of romance. It's a lot of bit of laughs. And it's very, very sexy. <laughs> And so what's happening in season four, this final season, is a rival sex clinic pops off on campus. Is that correct? Yes, led by O. And there is much drama there. I think Otis, in his mind, is the only sex therapist in the game. And that is not true. O has a lot of talents that Otis does not have. Is there a time jump between season three and season four? Yes, we are now solidly in the next school year. It is that we have left Moordale Secondary, which closed last season. And now we are at Cavendish, which is a utopia of... Of just kindness and progressiveness. The coolest people at school are the nicest people at school. They're called the coven. How does Jillian Anderson play into this show? I absolutely love her. She is truly the moment. <laughs> she plays Jean, Otis's mother. This season, she has a new baby to deal with. A lot of just... I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but she's dealing with a lot this season. And you get to really experience her journey as an older mom to an older kid and a new mom to a baby. That's a very weird thing I think you really see women juggle with, but it's happening. If somebody's trying to catch up on this show, three seasons can be a lot to watch very quickly when season four is coming out now. Is there a season? Are there some episodes you recommend to like brush up in order to get into season four? I think you need, need, need to watch the season two finale, which is the sex play. 
<laughs> which is just uh, alien erotica. I need people to really see the alien erotica to understand the show. But that's the biggest one to me. But also, I wrote a very handy recap of season three on Tadoom.com. Should that help the people? And I think those are, to me, the two biggest ones. And just watch the season three finale again, just to remember where we are. Are there any other memories besides the alien erotica that stick out to you about this show? I think every single kind of moment on Eric's journey to really embracing who he is as a queer black man with, you know, roots in another country and another culture that his friends maybe don't share and his religious background. There's just everything with him is so special and so unique that I, I don't think we're seeing it anywhere else. And I just want everyone else to re-experience it. So we talked about a trauma scale earlier. Um, where does sex education fall on the trauma scale if Heartstopper is on one end and Euphoria is on the other? So there's a lot of awkwardness in this show. Painful, painful, relatable awkwardness. And real issues. This is a show that deals with sexual assault. This is a show that deals with the pain of coming out and the ecstasy of it. But it's it's not quite everything now, but it's not the bubble wrap of Heartstopper. So it's maybe right in between those two. Fair enough. You've been warned by Ari Romero on the trauma scale. <laughs> TM. <laughs> exactly. Sex Education is coming out next week. You do not have to wait long for it. And um, we hope you'll check it out. The final show we're going to talk about, Ari, is The Crown, which is coming back this fall with episodes that are pretty recent in people's memories, both the death of Diana and then William and Kate meeting in college and, of course, falling in love and I think this great season is going to be really scrutinized because so many people remember this and have lived through it. Like, I know exactly where I was when Diana passed away at a gay bar in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. That's what she would want for you. Do you think so? I it, do. It wasn't as glamorous as, like, boats in Saint-Tropez or anything like that, but it worked where I was in life. She'd be delighted. So um, we are going to meet um, Ed McVeigh and Meg Bellamy, who play Prince William and Kate Middleton, um, when they met at university in St. Andrews. And we'll see their romance develop from there. I love gossip. So I think this is a good time for gossip. I think we're going to get a lot of rehashing of gossip. If we definitely are. They don't shy away from Princess Diana's death and the trauma and the international outpouring from it, which is not something else I've ever seen in my lifetime, just like how... It, this death affected so many people so personally because she was so beloved. Well, I think creator Peter Morgan has such reverence for every, all of these characters and for the monarchy. So it's good that it's going to be handled with such a thoughtful hand for something that has affected literally millions of people and continues to do so today. I don't want to spoil it, but The Crown is not known for needle drops. And this season has a lot of them. It's a 90s mecca bonanza of music. Ari, that's going to do it for the series portion of our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me and letting me talk about teen shows just at length. Anytime. You're always welcome to come back and talk about teen shows, especially because it's been so ridiculously long since I've been a teenager. We're, we're all just, you know, I'm a 31-year-old teenager, as Olivia Rodrigo would say. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia who? <laughs> I'm now here with Krista Smith, who's host of Skip Intro, our sister podcast, as well as being head of publishing here at Netflix. Krista, hello. It's so good to have you here. Uh, Henry, where's my drum roll? I thought there were sound Sorry. effects here. It's great to see you. I love seeing a fellow uh, colleague in headphones here in front of a mic. It's super exciting. Um, Absolutely. You and I have a long history in Hollywood. I don't want to age you. I'll certainly age myself a bit. <laughs> We've been doing this a very long time as far as like journalism reporting and sure. watching movies 
and critiquing movies. And now we are inside Netflix doing it, which is a whole different way of looking at things. How is it for you? Well, it's just I'm immersed in it, I have to say. I figure out how to scratch those itches, uh, the other stuff that I used to do at uh, Vanity Fair that I love, which is those Hollywood covers, which is that part of like, oh, I love that actor. What are they in? And then following them in the kind of Netflix universe, which I think is super special about Netflix. When did your love for movies start? It's so hard to pinpoint it. Um, I don't remember a time when I didn't love movies and love the experience of just being in the dark and watching a film, uh, whether it was in a theater or my or my basement. So really for me, when I discovered film as an adult living in New York, uh, will bring me to Todd Haynes because I was uh, in New York, just started at Vanity Fair in the 90s, and I watched his movie Superstar, which was the Karen Carpenter story done through Barbie dolls. And it sounds so crazy to think of it now. We think of Barbie, a billion dollar movie, but it was nothing like that Barbie movie. Only in one respect is in that it was like the almost a feminism point of view. It was like from the female point of view, but it was so shocking. And I couldn't believe that I was so moved by Barbie dolls. And that for me was like, who's Todd Haynes? Who are these people? And I knew that this was the world I wanted to be in. It was like the combination of kind of seeing faces and a woman under an influence and seeing these kind of films and then seeing Todd Haynes's superstar and just being like, oh, my God, there's this whole thing. This is amazing. I love it. Can't get enough. So Todd Haynes has this movie called May, December that is coming out December 1st. And... It stuck with me since I've seen it three months ago. Um, it is highly stylized. It is the score is like done for humor and effect. And it um, stars Julianne Moore as a woman who had an affair with a seventh grader and as an adult. And she ended up marrying this person and they start a family together. And Natalie Portman comes to town because um, she's going to be playing Julianne Moore's character in a movie. And a whole bunch of hijinks ensued. Todd Haynes does such a good job of making these indelible movies that tackle themes, do so with humor. And he's not talking down to the characters. He's talking with the characters. And I can't wait for everybody else to see this because I hope it sticks with them as much as it did me. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and then we should mention it is his fifth collaboration with Julianne Moore. They kind of came of age together. Obviously, their first film being Safe. Uh, obviously, Carol, uh, you know, he did with Kate Blanchett. And, you know, he's just to me, he's my one of my very favorite filmmakers for everything you just said. He's making the movie with you. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just you feel like it. And his casting is genius. And I think we should mention Charles Melton, who plays the husband of Julianne Moore, so significantly younger. That's the whole point. Um, and he came from Riverdale, which when I actually talked to Todd on the podcast, Skip Intro, which will be coming later, closer to the release of the film, we talked all about the casting. And it was a, certainly a wide search to find that character. It was such a needle to thread. And I was so impressed by Charles Melton. Now, I've never seen Riverdale, so forgive me. I know uh, I can sense the haters right now already. But I think he's a terrific actor. He was great. It's a career-making role for him. Agree. And I have seen Riverdale, and he was fine on Riverdale. I'm not taking away from his performance there, but this is a career-making role. We talked about Charles Melton's transformation. I want to talk about another transformation, and that is Phoebe Denever, who you probably know from Bridgerton, of course. Mm -hmm. And she's in this movie called Fair Play, and you would not recognize her. It's an entirely I think you recognize you her. Recognize you recognize know her it's her. You recognize her she's physically. She's not in an empire way. No, she's nor in, like, boss she have, bitch clothes. And nor yeah. does she have the big hair that no. um, comes with Bridgerton. I love it when a 
actor just flexes in an entirely different way. And that's exactly what she's doing in this movie, which is an erotic thriller. And also, I'd say more than erotic thriller, it's just like such a slice of zeitgeist, too. It's a, yeah. it's a re-examination of these kind of tropes that we think we know about. And it, it feels like part of you is watching. You're like, oh, does that happen still? And then you're like, oh, my God, does it? I, I thought it was so clever. And I think um, Chloe Dumont, okay? Superstar. Like, what a talent. Like, Chloe Dumont, I think, is so talented. This first-time director. First-time director, exactly. Who, wrote, who, who took this, wrote this script. It's it's definitely about gender dynamics in Wall Street. Fantastic, you know, I think, two-hander, basically. Alden Ehrenreich, who's always been good, and you might uh, have seen him in Oppenheimer. He's the aide with uh, Robert Downey you know, Jr.'s character. You're like, whoa. So he plays something obviously totally different here, but I thought he was great. I knew what to expect with Alden because I think he's always been good, whether he's playing all, you know, Han Solo or a smaller part or independent film, but she was just fantastic, and she had a lot of responsibility, and she delivered. She sure did. She's transcendent in this um, role in a way that I did Listen, you will recognize the actress from Bridgerton because you recognize her red hair and what have you, but, like, it's an entirely different role, and she slips in it with ease, and I think even fans of Bridgerton will be excited to see her. Mm -hmm, definitely. I also think what I like about Fair Play, which I'm really interested in, is to seeing the conversations that are going to be had around the water cooler or, or the virtual water cooler or the memes that are going to be made. I don't know how <laughs> the memes are going to be intense. However, kids talk <laughs> these days. Whatever that is, I want I you know dinner party conversations because I do think it's going to be a very talkable film, and I know it was explosive out of Sundance where Netflix acquired it. So I'm really interested in in seeing that conversation that happens once it's on Netflix. And it's coming to Netflix on October 13th. Okay, so my other movie I want to talk about, which is such a movie star two-hander, is Nyad. It's based on the book the, written by Diane Nyad. She is a long-distance swimmer, right? And that, that kind of had attempted that swim from Cuba to Florida and had failed so, you know, several times in her career, as had other swimmers. And what's so great about this film is that it is directed by two documentary filmmakers, actually a husband and wife team. One of their last ventures was Free Solo that happened to win an Oscar for Best Documentary Film when it came out, right? So they have such a different POV about how they would approach a narrative feature. But it's great because it's in the world of sports that they know so well, obviously, and that, like, single-mindedness and whatnot. And the perfect person to play Diane Nyad, you'd be like, who would play her? I don't know. What does it look like? doesn't matter because Annette Bening became... Diane Nyad. And that, as a film lover and a passive viewer of entertainment, is thrilling when you see that, when you completely forget that you're looking at Annette Benning and you're just watching the story, and she's incredible. And not to mention Annette's in her, in her 60s herself, and she's in a Speedo, and she's swimming, and she's just there. And then you're like, as if it can't get any better than Annette Benning, you get Jodie Foster, people. So Jodie Foster, and again, this idea that's not people you see all the time. Jodie Foster is not ubiquitous. She is a two-time Oscar winner. You know, obviously she's been in some of the biggest films that we remember, but it's so great to see her here in a two-hander with Ned. And she plays Bonnie, her Diane Iod's best friend and, and ultimately coach. And it's just great. And they don't 
they don't pull any punches and it's just great to see the two of them on screen. Krista, I echo, I love the way that it was shot and it makes sense that documentary filmmakers did it. Like it's really, really, really gripping. And then I missed seeing Jodie Foster so much. Like it was great to have her back. And I won't name names, of course, but there are plenty of actors you're seeing in like six films a year. You tire of them. And Jodie Foster obviously is not one of those people. And she's such a delight and a treat every time she appears on screen. They're great. There's another biopic that's upcoming that I want to talk to you about, too. Maestro, starring Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. Well, this is Bradley back uh, starring and directing, as we recall. What was that movie he did, huh? <laughs> Just oh, yeah, that Star. little movie. <laughs> that Star is Born, right? So this is pretty thrilling. I'm so glad this is going to be on Netflix. It's uh, Leonard Bernstein, which, of course, I'd heard about. I, I'm a little embarrassed to say that even though I kind of came of age in New York, I'm not a super musical theater person, but obviously he wrote West Side Story. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. He's, you know, I think uh, the conductor of the New York Philharmonic at 26, whatnot. But what I loved about this film is, first of all, Bradley Cooper. Just love him. I think he's wildly talented. To me, he's like reminds me of like the Clint Eastwood and the, you know, that person that's just getting into there. He's going to be directing these films for the next five decades. And he disappears into this role. Absolutely. And then Carrie Mulligan disappears into her role. And the love story that they tell, the two of them, I just, I could have watched them forever. I knew-ish that he was a member of the LGBTQ community. I didn't know the extent in which um, he had gay relationships and that he struggled with it and that, of course, his marriage sagged under the weight of it. And um, that part of the story was incredibly interesting to me, too. Yeah, it's just great. Beautiful filmmaking. Beautiful. Obviously, the music is incredible, but Bradley just disappears into it. And all the secondary, you know, supporting cast is equally as strong. To me, it was very transcendent, the experience of living in this world. And, and I love the way he did uh, the black and white to the color. And there were certain things that you remember, obviously, oh, like how they used to do the TV interviews and what, what that kind of fame looked like at that time in our lives. And I think, oh, that's so interesting that, that we're exactly examining that now through him and and just New York. It was great to be in New York again. It's so rare that you see a movie shot in New York these days. I love that aspect of it too. Say a little more about the black and white to color transition because it was definitely a choice and I think um, some people were wondering if it worked. I thought it was beautifully done and kind of seamless. I think, yeah, obviously it was a choice, but to me it made, it made perfect sense because he's telling this in you know, in the past as he's remembering in the present. So it's vital to get that, to, to kind of differentiate those. And also like how you look at things uh, might be differently than how you look at things in the immediate. You know, we all do, like we all have revisionist history. Maybe there's part of that, but I love the magic and I don't want to spoil it for people. There's some real magical moments that take place in this film. And I actually see it as a companion piece to A Star is Born because it's this love story, the love story that was in A Star is Born and now it's the love story that was here. And also the sacrifices that you make to have that kind of dedication to excellence, and especially in the arts, you see the toll that it takes, both good and bad, basically, to achieve that level of, I don't want to say fame because that makes it shallow, but to, to achieve that, to have that kind of artistic accomplishment. Krista, Ooh. let's talk about the killer. Michael Fassbender. David oh, Fincher. My God. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, to me, is Fincher back to genre. 
uh, delivering, um, beautifully delivering. And I mean, it's such a treat to see Michael Fassbender um, in this film. And I feel like I haven't seen him in a while and I've missed him. So you get that extra special um, pop of, of, you know, movie star that you're excited to watch again. Absolutely. And I'm always happy to see Tilda Swinton wherever she shows mm, up. Right. Tilda, she's got a nice one. I mean, also, I would say to uh, everybody out there, when you watch it, there's a lot of fun Easter eggs, but you got to pay attention. But they're there. They're not undiscoverable. You just got to pay attention. But the soundtrack, the Smith, I mean, all of it, it was this it was speaking to me again. The algorithms of Fincher's music taste for this film just hit my sweet spot, too. Loved what it. were some of your favorite needle drops? Well, first of all, the Smiths, Sub Pop, all that. Smiths are my favorite. Oh, yeah. All of those references were great. Uh, just seeing the the wardrobe on Fosbetter, obviously the way it's shot, Eric Messerschmidt. I mean, he got nominated. He won la He won for Mank, right? So I like that relationship that Fincher has with his cinematographer that I think he found him when he was shooting Mindhunter and said, hey, you want to do a feature film? Hey, it's going to be Mank. Hey, you're going to get nominated for an Oscar. Hey, and now you won. So come on, do the killer with me. And again, it looks just great. It's just beautifully shot. And you're in Europe. Again, you're in Paris. It's like so watchable. And that's coming out November 10th. Krista, thank you so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it. And tell people where they can find Skip Intro. Uh, please, you can find Skip Intro anywhere you find your podcast. So that's Apple, Spotify. Next week, we're going to be previewing all the great docuseries and documentaries that are coming to Netflix this fall. So hope you'll check that out. Bye.